calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Coming up, a cozy story about daughter-father food detectives. A sequel to one of the best books of 2018. Plus, our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. I just downloaded a copy of The Kamigawa Food Detectives by Hisashi Kashiwa and translated by Jesse Kirkwood from the Japanese. It sounds like a delicious way to spend the weekend. And Dave, you should probably get ready to have ramen delivered for dinner. I am always available to eat ramen for dinner. Good to know. This book asks the question, what's the one dish you do anything to taste just one more time? Oh, that's a good question. Do you have an answer to that question? The first thing that came to my mind was Chicken Nanking from House of Nanking in San Francisco. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I thought of our wedding cake. <laughs> that's better. We had the best wedding cake, and the bakery that made it no longer exists, so it has taken on magical epic status. It previously had magical epic status, and now it has unavailable magic epic status. But maybe this little restaurant that I'm about to tell you about can help. Okay. Here's the setup. A girl named Koishi and her father have a tiny restaurant tucked into the back streets of modern-day Kyoto, Japan. The restaurant has no menu, and they make extravagant, delicious food. But their kitchen gifts go way beyond that, because their secret power is to recreate meals from their guests' memories. Dishes that mean the most to them, and as the flap copy says, may provide a link to vanished moments creating a present full of possibility. Wow, that's some promise. <laughs> the story is told through vignettes about the different customers. It's unclear how they find their way to the restaurant because its address isn't published. Oh. Maybe it's luck. Maybe it's fate. Each chapter is named for a different dish, and the pages are packed with descriptions of food. Sushi, pork belly simmered in tea, deep-fried tofu, prawn tempura, and a bowl of udon that made my stomach growl. It sounded so good. <laughs> and the quests of each of the guests are really sweet. A businessman hopes to taste the sushi he ate on the neighbor's veranda as a child. A piano teacher craves a particular tonkatsu. A widower yearns for udon the way his late wife used to make it. Uh. The book was first published in Japan in 2013, and it's sold in 18 countries so far. The English translation just came out. There's a Japanese-language TV show from 2016, and I read a rumor of a U.S. version, but I couldn't find anything to back that up. Hmm. But for now, you could start with the book. Yeah. It's The Kamigawa Food Detectives by Hisashi Kashiwa, translated by Jesse Kirkwood. 
Tommy Orange is an author who's known for his 2018 book, There, There. It's about modern Native American life. It follows 12 different characters traveling to the big powwow at the Oakland Coliseum in the mid-2010s. It's a bit of a collage. The voice jumps around between first, second, and third. The book has nonfiction essays. There's one right in the middle of the book. It was Orange's first book. Wow, that is really bold for a first-time author. It was, yeah. He has a bachelor's degree in sound design, and he was working at a bookstore, and he started reading, and then he decided he needed to write. There, there was well-received. The Globe and Mail says that it should, quote, probably be on the reading list for every creative writing program in the country. Margaret Atwood said it was an astonishing literary debut. It was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, one of the New York Times' best books of 2018, and it won the American Book Award. His second book is out this week. It's called Wandering Stars. It's both a prequel and a sequel to There, There. It's a historical, it's multi-generational family saga about a group of Native Americans. It starts with the Sand Creek Massacre in 1864 and continues to modern-day Oakland. Every review I read mentioned that the quality of the writing is high. If this appeals to you and you have not read There, There, you might want to start with that. Both books have some characters in common, and it's probably a better experience. The book is Wandering Stars. It's by Tommy Orange, and it's out now. And now, our distraction of the week. For Christmas this year, Dave gifted me the excellent cookbook, The Chicken Soup Manifesto, Recipes from Around the World by Jen Lewis. Which turns out to have been a very self-serving gift. (laughs) It's true. You get to reap the rewards. Yeah. The book includes 130 recipes from 64 countries, and it kicked off a cooking project that will probably take us into sometime in 2026. Because I'm making a pot of chicken soup almost every week until we've tried every recipe in the book. That's a bold claim. And you have a front row seat. (laughs) I've never cooked through an entire cookbook before, except for ours, (laughs) of course. (laughs) I've cooked through our well-fed cookbooks dozens of times. So what we're doing is we're taking turns choosing a soup each week. And that's been really fun because we just kind of naturally gravitate toward different flavor profiles. Yeah. Do you remember the soups you've picked so far? I remember being attracted to the Scandinavian soups which are sort of wintry and creamy and, to my mind, delicious. The first one I picked was a Norwegian soup. I have the name here. Hunsashutsupa. (laughs) No wonder I didn't remember it. (laughs) Hunsashutsupa. 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 There you go. All right. I do remember it has apples in it Mm -hmm. and parsnips. Yes. I was surprised we could find parsnips. Oh, parsnips are a root vegetable. Czechs love those. Yeah. They have a little bit of a almost licorice taste to them. So the yeah. broth was like a little sweet, little licorice Yeah. Do you remember the second one? And the second one was from Belgium, I think. Vaterzoi. <laughs> Vaterzoi from Belgium. And it was a sort of a stereotypical chicken soup. Like if you think about chicken soup, it's probably what you're thinking about. But it also has a little bit of yogurt in it, which kind of ups the creamy consistency. That was a nice one. Yeah. I, of course, kind of went for the spicy side with my first pick. Yeah. And I actually picked the first recipe in the book. 
It's called Corba Beta, and it's from Algeria. I felt like you picked the first one first as sort of a test of the overall quality. I kind of wanted to cook it from beginning to end, just going through the recipes in order, but then I realized we would be trapped in the same flavor profile for weeks because yeah. it's arranged geographically and I didn't want us to be eating I didn't want us to be eating North African soups for like six weeks in a row. Wise. That's wise. The first one was Corba Beta from Algeria. It had a little bit of cinnamon, but just like the faintest touch of cinnamon. I can be pretty heavy-handed with spices because I like things to have a lot of fragrance to them. But this just had like cinnamon as a whisper. (laughs) (laughs) And it's silky because at the end you thicken the broth with a couple of egg yolks, which is a really good trick that I did not know. And I feel like I will be applying frequently. Then we had one called Kotosupa from Greece. I'm sure my accent was perfect. (laughs) Everything kind of has the same weird accent. I don't know. Sorry, everyone in the world. (laughs) This one was kind of light and sunny, which was perfect for February. It has a little diced zucchini and potato and you finish it off with a spritz of lemon juice. And my notes say it was fantastic on day three. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So why chicken soup? Why did this chef devote herself to 130 different recipes for chicken soup? Her answer is that cultures that eat meat invariably eat chicken. It's readily available. It's affordable. It tastes good. In lots of places in the world, people have chickens scratching around the yard of their house. Sure. And where there's chicken, there's chicken soup. Jen Lewis, the author, said that when she talked to people about chicken soup, they loved it for two big reasons. A lot of them said, it's very healthy and nourishing. Yeah. And they also said, it's a great hangover cure. (laughs) Both truths hold. As far as anyone can tell, the first person to say something like, you look sick, eat some chicken soup, was the Sephardic rabbi Moses Maimonides in the 12th century, which makes sense because chicken soup is also known as Jewish penicillin. That idea sunk in for the author one fall day a few years ago. She was on a work trip in San Diego and woke up with a terrible cold. And she was scheduled to fly home to Portland, Oregon that day. That sucks when you're sick and you have to get on a plane. The worst. She called her sister, complaining about how lousy she felt and how it was the longest flight ever. And when she got home, exhausted, her sister surprised her with a giant pot of homemade chicken soup. Oh, that's nice. She says that a pot of chicken soup is the ultimate gesture of love. So for Valentine's this past Wednesday... I made you an extra special pot of soup. (laughs) And it was delicious. It's called chupa de pollo con chipotle, and it's from Peru. And the broth is flavored with chipotle chilies and adobo sauce. If you are not familiar, chipotle chilies are jalapenos that have been dried and smoked. So they're really flavorful, but they're not too hot. And so those went into the broth with a lot of garlic and cumin, and that all got simmered. And then you puree it so it gets thick. And you put in potatoes and hominy. That's big corn kernels. And then you add a little cream and a little lime juice. It was just like taking a trip to Peru. Yeah. I think. I've never actually been to Peru. (laughs) I 100% recommend the Chicken Soup Manifesto. But you could also do this kind of project with any cookbook that you're really excited about. There's a cookbook I've been thinking about 
cooking my way through ever since I found out about it. Oh, really? It's called Nachos for Dinner <laughs> by Dan Whalen. If that isn't the perfect summary of our personalities, <laughs> I will make you healthy, nourishing chicken soup. I will make you nachos. I mean, and we'll I, watch a show. I do like nachos. Yeah. I should also mention that throughout season six of our Strong Sense of Place podcast, which is coming up soon, I'll be sharing our soup adventures on Patreon. I'll post the recipe and any adjustments I made to it, along with photos and what Dave and I thought of it. If that sounds tasty to you, now would be a delicious time to join our community on Patreon. Visit strongsenseofplace.com library for more on the books we talked about today and links to interviews with Jen Lewis and recipes from her book. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon.